You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series, The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 180 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Alison Tate, otherwise known as A.L. Tate, otherwise known as Al, otherwise known as... Hey, Chicky, how are you going today? <laughs> hey, Chicky. A social media Chicky, that's me. Um, I, I, I'm actually really good today, which is uh, ah. surprising, given I backed into my friend's car this morning. No! <laughs> Oh, let's not even talk about it. The school run can be a very fraught place, people. It's oh. like it's crazy out there. I watched Mad Max 2 on Saturday night and I feel like I'm living it today. Oh. Well, not really. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> My partner watched Mad Max 2 as well. You, I get, was it on TV? On the weekend? Uh, it, was, uh, it was on last week, I think. I think we um, – mm-hmm. I think that um, – that the builder, my husband, taped it yes. and we watched it on because oh. I you know I've never seen it. I've never seen any of them. I must yeah, be like right. I must have been the only person in Australia. I've never seen the original one. I haven't seen any of them. No, I haven't just, seen any of the originals. I've only seen the the latest one. And he was horrified, right? He was so horrified at my lack of of general. Mm-hmm. I think it must have been a boy thing, but he was yeah, so does. horrified that he made me watch it. And it was really funny because we were sitting there and um, like for the first, you know, bits of it, I was looking, I was watching between my fingers. I'm not very good with, you know, scary adrenaline stuff. And mm-hmm. um, and so I was doing that. And then as I sort of like started to come out from behind my fingers, I was just going, I, I, he, he wasn't loving watching it with me because I was like, Oh, man, there are massive plot holes in this thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, you're supposed to just watch it for the, like, crazy car. Like, the crazy car stuff is awesome. The actual yes. story? Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Not the most complex story on the planet? Or no, but even... I, did like the twist. I did like the twist at the end. I have to say oh, okay. I didn't see that coming. So I was a bit – I was like, okay, it's redeemed right there with just that. Really? That, yeah, yeah. I was pretty impressed by that because I was really like – Oh, of course. He goes, didn't you notice? And I'm like, yeah, no. Nah. I was so busy pointing plot holes. It's coming. <laughs> wow, I did not watch Mad Max. I binge watched House of Cards, the oh, latest season. Right. Okay. Yes. I have to uh, say, it's a little too close to the truth now. I don't think I. Can oh actually- my god, it's so uh-huh. close to the truth. It's it's crazy, but I just love Robin Wright. I yeah. just think she's amazing and and, yeah. uh, and her acting is amazing and and she's stunning and I loved all the clothes. And yeah, I just Yeah, she's seen, she's terrific in it, isn't she? She's she's so good. But have you ever seen the movie um I don't can't remember if I've asked you this before. Um it's called Adoration. 
um, have I mentioned that yeah. to you? Yeah. And um, she's in it, as is Naomi Watts and Ben Mendelsohn and a whole bunch of Australian actors because it's actually set uh, in the New South Wales north coast. Like um, It's set in Seal Rocks. Oh, and yeah. uh, it's actually based on a novella, I think, by Doris Lessing. Don't quote me on that. But it's based on a novella called The Grandmothers who kind of reminisce about their life. But the premise of the movie, so it's an Australian movie and Robin Wright plays a middle-aged Australian woman and she does it to perfection. She just nails the accent and she is so perfect in this role um, that it's it's just mesmerising just watching her nail it. But mm-hmm. the movie is really good. The premise sounds very strange, but when you watch the movie, is actually believable. It's about two mothers who fall in love with each other's sons. I know. Right. Really weird. <laughs> Right. You, you read the the back of the DVD or whatever and you just go, oh, no. But uh, when you watch it, it is, it's really a fantastic movie. I highly recommend it. Anyway, this isn't actually so you want to watch a movie. No, this but we so should, just before we go on, no, no, let's yes. go, let's stick with the film for a minute because okay. have you been watching David Stratton's um, uh, Australian movie thing on Tuesday nights on the ABC? I can't no, remember what I it's haven't. Called. Oh, so good. I- it's so good. Really? It's him. It's David Stratton, who, of course, we love, talking yes. about um, about Australian movies and and the the course of Australian movies and where they all come from. And um, it's absolutely fascinating. And the reason it brought me uh, brought it up was because, of course, he talked about Evil Angels, the um, Lindy Chamberlain movie last week, and there was Ooh. Meryl, you know, doing her Australian yeah. accent, which was you know highly entertaining. Um, oh my but God. the discussion of what of the impact of that movie on the cultural landscape and all of that sort of stuff was very very interesting and and a lot of the movies that he's talking about are now actually available on ABC iview to watch so oh. yeah it's um maybe this is where the Mad Max came from now that I think about it anyway so that's <laughs> um now that I think about it that's um that's really worth having a look at if you are because of course you know it it, it is relevant because a lot of a lot of great movies, you know, they're great because the writing is great. You know, the cinematography yes. is awesome, but the the writing is amazing, and I think yes. um, it's definitely worth having a look. And I'm fascinated by that by that marriage of it's a little bit like a, you know when uh, we talk about songwriting. Um, I'm fascinated by the marriage of words and music, and I'm also mm. fascinated by the, the marriage of words and and images because I can't do either of those things. I can do the words, I can't do the music and I can't do the images. So the people that can bring all of those things together into one amazing package just astound me. Yeah. Creativity. I just think it's amazing. So talented. So talented. talented. Anyway. Mm. So, yes, this is not so you want to be a songwriter (laughs) or a movie buff. This is so you want to be a writer, but I do need to talk to you about why I am actually really excited and happy okay, tell even me, though tell I me. Why backed into a car this morning. Yeah. Um, because the Mapmaker Chronicle series, books one to three, is available to buy in the US as we speak. What? I know. It, all, it, it was launched to 1,600 consultants last um last week and the buy the buy links went live and I had a small party in my study all by myself with Procrasty Pup and um he was really wrapped. He was pretty excited. But um so I'm gonna put the link in the show notes and I know that we have quite a lot of US listeners so I hope you yes. will rush out 
and buy yourselves a copy of the Mapmaker Chronicles so that you can see what it is I've been banging on about for all this time. Absolutely. Do yourself a favor and <laughs> and have and click on the link. Uh, so you'll find the link at uh, so you want to be a writer.com.au and there'll be a link to the US website where you can buy Alison's awesome book series, The Mapmaker Chronicles. Check yes. it out, all of you yes. people published, in America who are listening to us. Published by Kay Miller in the, in the States and in Canada as well. If you're in Canada, you too can purchase the book. Fantastic. <laughs> all right. Now we want to give a shout-out to Tyson Keating. Now Tyson left us a review and rating on iTunes and has called it Thank You. Now Tyson says, been trying to write a book while doing my first year of uni at the same time, didn't really know if what I was doing was right and I was losing momentum as it was getting buried under study. This podcast is just what I needed to keep me motivated as a result yay. of this. Yeah, yay. As a result of this, I have begun seeking help to improve my writing and have started a blog. Thank you oh, guys for nice. keeping my wheels turning. That's fantastic. Gosh, you're busy, Tyson. <laughs> Seriously. Yes. Studying, but writing well done. Book. Yeah, well yeah, done. Yeah, absolutely well done. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And if any other listeners have 30 seconds to re- leave us a review or rating on iTunes, we'd really be grateful because it certainly helps us in the rankings and helps more people discover the podcast. So shall we move on to the world of writing and publishing this week? It's pr- probably time that we did do that. Yes. <laughs> now, I it. understand you have a link about setting up a pen name. Uh, yeah, look, the reason that I've uh, found this, well, I found the link and the reason I've chosen to talk about it today is because it's something that I think we've been asked about it a little bit lately. I've seen it discussed in writers' forums a lot and I was actually, I did a, a presentation a few weeks ago for a, a group of teacher librarians and they asked me about why I am A.L. Tate. And so Ooh. I thought, well, there's obviously something in the wind. Um, we need to talk about pen names. And this, yes. unfortunately, Jane Friedman, who is a fantastic US blogger. Um, Very, very good. good. So worth having a look. She's uh, J-A-N-E-F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N.com, Jane Friedman. Um, So worth having a look at her blog. And she has obviously read my mind and written a fantastic uh, post on how to choose and set up a pen name. Well, in saying that she didn't write it, it's a guest post by an attorney in the US. It's a um, US-based blog and post. Now, I thought uh, it was interesting because her first tip is to research the name. Now, the reason I found this interesting was because um, a couple. I'm, I'm a, a member of several different, you know, writers groups on Facebook, and there was a a post in there uh, last week from a writer who had. Um, you know, written the book and had set everything up and was all all ready to go, and then actually and was using their own name, and then actually Googled it, <laughs> had a look in Goodreads as to how many of her particular name were out there, and there was a lot, and yes. she was writing, I think. Um, she was writing, I think, erotica or something along those lines, and there was a YA author with the same name. Or, or mm. vice versa, I don't remember the exact details, um, which, you know, can get a little bit messy because Goodreads will just automatically um, attribute your book to whoever was there yes. first yes. and then you've got to go through all the librarians, you know, tech set up to get your book moved over to your name, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So it can be 
a bit of a pain. So research the name. So if you, particularly if you have a name that is relatively um, common, mm. you you want to make sure you might need to use your middle initial or something to to differentiate you from the other Jane Smith that is you know that is also writing books online. So I thought that was um, interesting, and it's a it's a quite as amazing the number of people that that don't do that until the last minute, and then suddenly mm. realise that there's like I. I'm constantly amazed by how many Alice and Tates are out there. Like I wouldn't have thought, <laughs> well, you know, like particularly even the same spelling, which yes. is, you know, my last name is not that um, not that common. Um, right. And with two L's in Alison and the whole thing, you sort of go, wow, okay, um, which is not the reason that I chose to be A.L. Tate but was would have been a valid reason for me to do so if, um, if I'd been starting out now. Um, yeah. And then Jane's second tip, and this is really important, is to buy the available domain names in your pen name. Um, yeah. Um, so I've actually done that. I think it's probably worth um, – I've actually uh, – like while I blog under – and I have my whole website set up under alisontate.com. Um, and then I also have, um, you know, the Mapmaker Chronicles website. I do own Al Tate. Um, I own altate.com and Altate Books, I think. I, I've got a couple of different permutations of AL Tate, um, mm. which I have parked because uh, when my next series comes out, um, the Adaban Cipher series, when it starts in September, I am going to – there's going to be all manner of redirections and rehousing because I'm going to bring those two series together into one site. Um, yeah. So I have the Adam and Cypher, I have the Mapmaker Chronicles, but I also have ALT Books, ALT.com. So I think it's worth, you know, like it, like it's, it's really worth if you're thinking about a pen name, you know, do the research. And then even if your book is a million miles away, you know, park the domain because sure as eggs – when you do want it, it's not going to be available to you, don't you think? Mm, yes. Yeah, definitely Absolutely. worth it. Um, <clears throat> we talked so- to my friend the other day and she's an author and the name of her book, it was available, um, you know, as in the, the name of her book, .com.au, sorry, yeah. and I, I emailed her at 11.30 at night and I said, oh, it's available, make sure you get it. And um, she goes, yeah, for sure. And the next morning at 8 o'clock I checked and it was no longer available. And I went, oh, that's so good. She got it. And um, it I checked her. with her and she went, no, it wasn't me. Oh, gone. Gone. Well, you know, it's it's interesting because my so my son, Bookboy, who blogs at bookboy.com.au, um, I bought his domain name. Under, uh, under his name because he mm. plans to, um, you know, he, he writes music and stuff. He's planning to record his little EP. He's, you know, and he may not use that for years. Yeah. But, it, you know, it's there. And um, and I bought it at the advice of the Writer Centre staff who, when they heard his first song, were like, yeah. get his domain name. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like, You're right. You're right. Yeah. So get get the get the domain name as, as early you as you can. You mean his real name? You bought his, his name. real name. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So he blogs under Bookboy, but when he yeah, yeah. puts his music out, it will be under his actual name. Absolutely. So um, so that's interesting. Now the other the thing that I found quite interesting um in Jane's post was that in the US you have to claim the name. 
um, you have to file a fictitious business name statement if you're going to be getting payments made out to your pen name, which I thought was quite interesting because I, yes. I'm not exactly sure what the legality of that would like how that works in Australia. Do you know anything about that, Val? I have not heard of a fictitious business name statement applicable to authors in Australia. No. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's you, quite an interesting thing. I mean, you didn't sign one, did you? No, but I don't get paid. I don't. No, I'm not paid under AL Tate. I'm paid as Alison Tate. My publisher knows who I am and all of my payments come to me as Oh, I see Alison what it's Tate. like if you're getting payments, if you're getting payments out made out to your pen name. name. Yeah. So, oh, and I think- okay. So, no, for that in Australia, if you're getting payments made, let's say your pen name, Al, was yeah. something a little bit more different <laughs> to your Jack, real name. Let's say it was Jane Smith, yeah. Yeah, Jane Smith. Uh, then what you would do in Australia for you to actually receive payments in that name would be you would need to have an ABN in that name. You would actually need to have some kind of entity that you can have a bank account in which to receive the payments. It's not called a fictitious business name statement, Mm. Um, but, yeah, you would need some kind of actual entity that could receive payments in their name. But most publishers here just know that Jade Smith is Alison Tate and they pay Alison Tate. Yeah, so you, I, it, it, like you would only do that, wouldn't you, if like being anonymous as that pen name yes. was really important to you for some reason. Yes. Um, because, you know, even in this they say that, uh, you know, with uh, Jane and the guest post, uh, author who's Helen Sedwick say that you need to be be open with your publisher. Like if you're being published by someone else, you actually do need to tell them who you really are. Yes, generally speaking. <laughs> and if, if if you are really really secret, it may be that you want to be paid uh, under the secret name because you actually because only one person in the publishing company knows who you really are, mm-hmm. and all of the people like the payments people and stuff. Um, you, you know, need uh, need to also not know who you are. Yeah. And so, look, this is a really interesting post and I think it's worth reading. I think the what not to do bit is quite important too. Like don't mm. go overboard in creating a fake identity. Mm. Like don't claim credentials that you don't have and, you know, like pretend that you're an expert in something that you're not. Um, they're saying don't use a pen name to avoid a pre-existing contract. So if you're already mm. contracted to a publisher, you can't just change the name on the manuscript or, or, you know, and suddenly start writing competing manuscripts and things like that. And you also, um, your pen name won't protect you from defamation if you, you know, even if you're hiding anonymously behind a pen name. Um, if you, you know, if there's a legal problem, they, they're going to find out who you are basically. Yes. Definitely. Hmm. Anyway. Yeah, that brings us to also the reasons why you might want to have a pen name. I think Mm. that most authors choose to have a pen name if, for example, they want to like not be confused because they write, they don't want to confuse readers if they write in different genres. So different Mm. genres have different pen names. Yeah. Um, Like Pamela Freeman and Pamela Hart. So Pamela Freeman writes a whole range of books, including fantasy and children's books. But Pamela Hart, who is the same person, writes historical fiction. So you might choose to do it by genre but I do know that a a number I wouldn't say a lot but I certainly get questions from a number of aspiring writers who want to write under a pen name and it's not actually because they you know are scared that they're writing about something controversial or anything it's just because I when I dig deeper it's because they 
want to fail under some if they if they think they're going to fail, they're failing not under their own name. Oh right. Mm, which is not an ideal reason to have a pen name. <laughs> no. No. I think if you write it, you know, if you're going to write something and you want it to be published, you, you have to be willing to stand behind it because yeah, own it. chances are someone is going to know, someone will find out who you are, you know. So yes. don't don't put it out there if you're that worried about it, <laughs> basically. Yeah, absolutely. All yeah. right, so we have another link and uh, it's from a site called The Millions and it's called Don't Talk About Your Book Until It's Published. Now, um, it's written by a guy called Nick Repatrazzoni and he talks about when he was at university, an academic offered him some advice, don't talk about your book until it's published. And he kind of goes about the pros and cons of whether he, you should – talk about your book or not. Um, But he comes to the conclusion that until your book is published, don't talk about it. The old academic was right. You risk sucking the life out of your book. If you talk about your book, it stops belonging to you and starts belonging to the world. You have to explain it when you to people you sit next to on the train, distant cousins at family reunions or people at work. When the soul of your book hits the air, it will dissipate without its physical body. And he's basically saying, keep it to yourself um, and, and get to work. Now, what are your thoughts on this, Al? Well, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, no I, t- I agree with him to a degree. Um, so I talk about the fact that I'm writing a book because it helps me to stay accountable to the fact that I'm writing a book. Um, yeah. If people ask me what the book is about, it helps me to kind of like I'll be basically like, oh, it's, you know, about a, a boy who escapes a monastery with a, you know, with a um, coded manuscript that's it. And I leave it at that. I mean, I, I don't discuss it at length. I'm not going into plot details. I'm not, um, I'm not doing all that sort of stuff, but I, I do talk about it because I, it, it's again, it's for me, I didn't, you know, I, I don't think I ever took writing manuscripts seriously until I, until I made myself accountable for them. Um, so mm. I used to not talk about the fact that I was writing, um, writing novels and, you know, because I was so worried that, you know, I would have to explain it or I would have to do whatever. But I also realised that once I started telling people that I was writing, then I it, it gave me more motivation to actually finish it. If you don't talk about it yeah. and know what, there, then there's no accountability for it. You sort of like I don't know it, it it doesn't feel like a real thing. And once you start talking about it, it becomes a real thing, and it becomes something. And people will ask you about it. They will say, "How's it going?" But you know, they're not actually. And I know some authors who get really freaked out about that, but really nobody's that interested in it. No one's as interested no. in it as you are. They're just making <laughs> small talk. They're making conversation and you just go, yeah, yeah, fine, and that's it. Yeah. It's a bit yeah. like when you go you go overseas for two years and you travel the world, and I've had experience of this, you travel the world and you see amazing things and you come back and everybody else has just gone about their lives and yeah. they say, how is, how is your trip? And you go, yeah, really good. That's it. End of yeah, they're just being polite. Yeah, so that's essentially what's happening with most of the, you know, most of the people who inquire. But I just think it, it for me, it, it helps to. It doesn't suck the life out of it for me. It basically reinforces the fact that I need to get some words done. Yeah, absolutely. if you know what I'm saying. 
Is that yeah. – would you agree with that? Like, uh, But I, I do think everyone's different. Like I, I'm not saying that that's going to work for everybody. Um, so, but I do think that if you don't own it, you will never finish it. That's, yes. that's just the way I look at it basically. So I think you have to own the fact that you're writing. Yeah, I agree 100% about uh, owning the fact that you're writing it and being open that you are writing a book because it certainly makes you accountable and it certainly makes it much more real. I think this old academic that uh, Nick, the, the writer of this post, spoke to has is just completely wrong and I think the fact that Nick is following his advice is absolutely nutty. I think that it's ridiculous not to talk about your book. I mean, you certainly don't have to talk about your book ad nauseum and go into every plot point and go into every little detail. Because people don't care. And honestly, (laughs) if he thinks you have to explain it to people you sit next to on the train or distant cousins at family reunions, they really don't care. In fact, if they're asking you about your book and you don't want to talk about it, as you say, just say, oh, yeah, it's going really well. And hello, be interested in their life and turn the questions back on them and talk about something that they're doing. Because they would much rather talk about themselves than talk about your book, trust me. (laughs) Yes, to even think that people sitting next to you on the train <laughs> really care about all of the contents of your book is, or your distant cousins at family reunions is insane. So ab- yeah. absolutely talk about your book as much as you want. But if you don't want to go into detail, you can just um, keep ensure you have your boundaries and keep it at a certain level, like the way you, Al, say, you know, your one sentence really about what the book is about, but you don't go into every single plot point and every single theme and piece oh, of dialogue. No. So, no, no, no. you know, just have control over what you want to disclose and what you don't want to disclose and don't have this silly, silly, silly rule that you shouldn't talk about it at all if it's a if it's if you're not ready to you know disclose even the the one line that's okay as well you don't have to you can talk about it as much or as little as you want but having this blanket rule because of this silly idea that its soul dissipates into the air is yeah, just really. ridiculous. Can you can you hear Val's outrage here, people? <laughs> I feel the outrage. But let's also just have a moment to discuss. He was adamant that a fiction writer should never talk about his book until it hits the shelf. That's Sorry. so stupid. That is, Beyond unfortunately, stupid. the world is not working like that now. And if you wait no. till it hits the shelf, no one's ever going to want to talk gonna about you. going to buy your- it. Exactly. Because, you, you, well, that, you know, you've got to create it. some interest so that yes. people want to talk to you about it. Um, and I would just like to say a big shout-out here to my friend Emma Woods who has written a manuscript and was talking about it online and got contacted via DM from an Australian publisher who had seen that particular you know, conversation about her book that she was writing and had said to her, I'd really like to see it when you're finished. Can you send it to me? I love it. So, you know, I think it's really important that you, like, this thing goes in several different directions and in several different ways. And to take on board, don't talk about your book until it's published, I I feel like you're going to be missing a huge number of opportunities here. So, and, and, you know, and again, you know, good luck to Emma, who is, you know, working through her manuscript at the moment and getting it ready Mm. to resubmit to an agent. So let's, you know, she's making great progress along the way of her journey. And it's not by not talking about her book. Trust me. Yeah, 
ridiculous. And in Mm. fact, talking about your book and building that anticipation and helping people know that it's coming up is an important part of building your author platform, which of course, Alison lays out a blueprint on exactly how you should build your own author platform. And you should start way before you actually finish writing your book uh, in her course, How to Build Your Author Platform. And Mm. you can find that at writercenter.com.au slash platform. That's writercenter.com.au slash platform. All right. Now you have a link for us by the very clever Kat Rohde. Is that correct? Well, yes, it's on the fabulous um, blog called The Freelancer's Year, which is uh, by uh, one of the um, AWC Australian Writer Centre alumni, Lindy Alexander. She's yes. doing a brilliant job with this blog. I'm loving what she's got going on here. But loving in a recent it. post, she did a little interview with the very fabulous Kat Rohde, who is another Australian Writer Centre um, graduate. And she has um, – they, they just talk about, like, what it's like being a new and practising and, you know, becoming very established. Thank you very much, Kat Rohde. Uh, freelancer. And the reason I wanted to talk about it was because one thing that Kat does really, really well, particularly well, is she pitches incessantly. And yes. I do mean incessantly. Like she is a, she's a person who um, gets up every morning and just pitches, pitches, pitches. Well, she even talks about it. She says she pitches incessantly. There you go. Um, yep. So, you know, she says I might have a pitching problem, a slight mm-hmm. addiction. <laughs> My brain keeps chucking ideas at me and if I don't pitch them straight away, I get a bit twitchy. So she's doing around about, you know, I think it's uh, 10 ideas a week, okay? So she's pitching out 10 ideas a week. Um, And on average, she gets around about, you know, sometimes uh, 50% commission, depending if it's a publication she's been working on, like working with regularly, Um, with newer publications, obviously, you know, it, it can take more time to build that relationship um, and just to get the gist of what they're wanting to do. But I think one of the most important things she says, she um, Lindy asks Kat, what has been your biggest lesson so far? Mm. And her biggest lesson is to have faith in her ideas. If an editor knocks back a pitch, it doesn't mean it's not a good story. And I think that that is really, really important. You know, she learned this lesson a few years ago. She says, I had an idea about writing how Facebook has changed the face of death. Yes. My, pitch, my pitch was rejected by five publications mm-hmm. before I got a yes and the feature ended up in Good Weekend. Yeah. So I think that, you know, it's it's the whole notion of the idea is sound but I haven't quite nailed the angle, the direction for that particular publication, where is this going to be better suited? How can I pitch it to that particular publication? So I I just, I, I think that there's a lesson in, if you're a, a new freelancer or even an established freelancer, really, this notion that, you know, it, it sometimes, you know, you've, you've got to persist with the, if the idea is solid, persist with the pitch because sometimes it's just the pitch is not quite right. Um, and I know that you would agree with me on this, Valerie, because you are re- reworking pitches constantly in your um, in your course. Am I right? Yes, that's absolutely yes. right. In fact, that very article that Kat talks about how Facebook has changed the face of death, which ended up being published in Good Weekend, I remember specifically giving feedback to Kat on that article. I, in fact, I remember I was sitting in the back of a car 
being driven from the Brisbane CBD to the airport because <laughs> I had that window to 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 spare because I was on a really busy schedule at the time and I was talking to Kat on the phone and going through all the different tweaks to be made and to, to ensure that it was a strong story with a strong angle and strong case studies and Kat's like a sponge she's fantastic and she she really learns from feedback and applies it and and now is one is an, is an incredibly prolific freelance writer. So um, I remember, and, and it's so true that she is a pitching machine. I remember once she told me that she would go to the gym, right, in the morning. And you know how the gym has um, the TVs when you're on the treadmill? Yeah. Yeah. So she would be watching the TV on the treadmill and watch, you know, the morning show or whatever was on. And there would be something topical that would come up on the TV. And she would think, oh, there's a story in that. So while she is still on the treadmill, (laughs) she's typing the pitch into her phone and sending it to an editor. Mm. So by the time she's come home... (laughs) particularly if it's something topical and it's an editor she works with regularly, she's already got the response and can start working on it. Yeah. So that's that's a pitching machine. It is. And like she says basically in this article, which is at thefreelancersyear.com and we will put the um, note, uh, the link in the show notes. Yes. She aims to write one online story a day and a couple of magazine features a month. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you want to freelance full time, this is what you need to be doing. You've got to have a lot of stories on the go, but you've got that mix. And I, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that I bang on about this incessantly. So excuse me if I'm boring you, but you need a mix of quick turnaround and long form yes. stuff, you know, whatever that may be, um, whether that's a book or whether that's, you know, magazine features or whether that's whatever you, you need the sort of the long and the short because you've got to have that constant role of work going on for yourself. And I think, um, you know, it, 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 it's a really great little article. It's a very good little Q&A, just at, at an insight into, you know, just how you need to manage yourself if, you, if this is what you want to do. Absolutely. And if you're interested in doing the course that Kat did, she did the course Magazine and Newspaper Writing Stage 1, which is available online uh, as well as in various cities. Uh, and you can find out more, writerscentercomau slash magazine. That's writerscentercomau slash magazine. And that's the course that started it all. All right, let us move on to our competition this week. Now, you may remember that we interviewed Caroline Baum a few weeks ago and I absolutely loved her book, which was called Only, A Singular Memoir. Well, we have two copies of this book to give away. Yes, she was interviewed in episode 156 if you want to check it out. Um, It was a great chat. And uh, Only is Caroline's fascinating and moving memoir about being an only child in a very unusual family. Now, it doesn't matter. You don't have to be an only child to, to relate to this book. It's uh, it's beautifully written and it's worth reading simply because of the you, you get to see uh, someone's writing craft in 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 all its glory. It's just a wonderful book. All right, you can go to writerscenter.com.au/win and entries close on the twenty sixth of June. And if you're listening to this podcast in the future, don't worry, there'll be another competition where you can win some other great stuff. So writerscenter.com.au/win. 
This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1, is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You only need a couple of hours a week and you'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course. Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. Are we ready for the word of the week, Al? Well, you know, I don't even have to say it, do I? Everybody just knows that I am so ready for the word of the week. Okay. Anomia. Now that's spelt A-N for Nellie, O-M for Mary, I-A. Anomia. Do you know what it is? No, I don't know what it is. As you get older, you might start experiencing anomia. Right. (laughs) This is the loss of the ability to name objects or recall names. Oh, God, I've got it now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Alison was suffering from anomia. That's what. That's how you might use it in a sentence. Oh, and right sometimes, there. you know, yeah. I sometimes I feel like I'm getting bit. I'm getting little hints of anomia, but uh, fortunately, it's not full blown just yet. But I like that anomia. So specifically, the loss not not the not the loss of memory or not the loss of the ability of to remember events or whatever, but specifically the loss of the ability to name objects or recall names. All right. Shall oh, we move on to our writer in residence? Yes, I'm just coming to terms with my new di- diagnosis of anomia, but that's fine. <laughs> Let's move on, please. Let's do that. Right. Leave me here in my funk. <laughs> we are chatting this week to Ben Hobson, who is a Brisbane writer who by day uh, teaches English and, and music at high school but has had a very interesting journey to publication and his book is To Become a Whale. Let's get stuck straight into our chat with Ben Hobson. Thanks so much for joining us today, Ben. No problem. Happy to be here. Congratulations on your book, To Become a Whale. Now, this is your first novel, is that right? Well, it's the first it's the first novel I've written that was actually good, I think. <laughs> I had a, okay, I had a few sure. practice ones before this one, but yeah, this is the first proper published novel, yes. Fair enough. So, for those people who haven't got their hands on the book yet, tell us what it's about. Uh well, it's it's set in 1961 and it's set in Queensland and a uh, young boy has just recently lost his mum and his mum's an incredibly important part of his life and gives him a lot of direction. And, uh, then, uh, so he's sort of left with his father and his father's always been absent from his life and has always been out on Tangaluma whaling station and in the midst of everything. And, you know, in the grief and the loss of, um, losing his wife, he decides to take, uh, Sam, the young boy over to Tangaluma whaling station during uh, whaling season to sort of make a man of him. And it's sort of about masculinity. It's about, grief and it's about, you know, father and son relationships and how, how difficult they can be. 
What made you come up with the idea for this book? Did you come up with the plot first or the themes first? What spurred this on? Uh, I think it was definitely the the idea of the father and son relationship that I wanted to explore. Because um, I'm a I'm a I think I'm young. <laughs> I'm a young father, <laughs> and um, uh-huh. I've got two young boys. And so, uh, just the questions I always ask of myself, like, am I actually a good father? Am I doing the right thing? And the times when you're, you know, you may be a bit stern with them where you shouldn't be, or a bit soft with them when you shouldn't be. And just the idea of that situation, um, with a father and a son, you know, I've been a son as well with my own father. And I just, mm. I find it such a potent relationship with a lot of, um, a lot of areas for nuance, I guess, where, where yes. it's, it's, you know, at one hand, your father can seem quite stern or cruel to you, but he might be doing it from a place of protectiveness and it's just a very difficult thing. And then it was, um, I was researching something that the father could do, like a job that he could have where he could, you know, uh, sort of abandon the boy for a little bit because I wanted to heighten the drama. And uh, Mm. I stumbled onto this picture of the Tangaluma whaling station and I just thought, oh, that is such an interesting place to set. You know, I just just fell in love. I didn't find that's a wrong thing to say because the (laughs) picture itself was actually quite horrible. Um, mm. a lot of whales, but I just thought it was such an interesting place. And I thought for a kid who's a bit sensitive with animals and animal cruelty and things like that, to just be thrust into that, like I just thought it'd be such a, you know, so, so ripe with possibilities. Mm. What's your relationship with your father like? Uh, really good. <laughs> a few people have asked me that. No, my, my, yeah. my relationship with my dad is really good. Um, I do think he's from an era you know, cause I'm, I'm 30, what am I? 32 now. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. um, you know, my dad's nearly 60 and he, he grew up in a time where I'm not sure men were given a lot of vocabulary to really talk or express themselves as much. Mm. Um, I think we've come a long way as a society, but yeah, my dad, sometimes even now, like he, well, I've had a chat with him last weekend cause I, I, I explained to him that I do these interviews and, you know, I mentioned, <laughs> mentioned this sort of thing. And he says, yeah, it's hard for him to progress past weather talk. <laughs> so yes. whenever, because we live interstate, he lives in Victoria. And so whenever we're on the phone, it'll it'll always start or if there's an awkward pause, it'll always be, Dad, how's the weather going? And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's good. And um, I love my dad and he's always been a, you know, he's always been a provider and always supported me so much in so many things. But um yeah, it's it's you know I think there are things that he wishes he could say, and maybe doesn't have, don't have, doesn't have the words for, and there might be times. I mean, I can remember times when I was a kid where I felt like he didn't notice me, and I don't mm. I don't think I don't think he was doing that on purpose. I think obviously he wasn't doing that on purpose. But when you're a kid, you and you're you're trying to find your way in, in the world, you're sort of sensitive to to the reactions of those who. Um, who you love, like your, like your parents. And yeah, you know, it's a bit hard to navigate and understand like, you know, it's, you can read a lot into situations where he, the father probably, or my dad didn't mean it the way it came across sometimes. Yes. And certainly in the book, the relationship of Sam with his father, it's, you can just, it's just, it's, it's palpable. You can feel those nuances. You can feel the, the pain that, that or the 
pain or awkwardness or grief yeah. or whatever that Sam is going through, even when his father hasn't said anything in particular. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So you, you've captured it through just uh, a sense of place but also through just the little, just the, the things that are left unsaid. Mm. Um, so Thank tell you. me then, did, did you go to Tangaluma? I haven't actually been to the proper whaling station itself. I've been to Morton Island. Um, mm-hmm. And part of me was just relying on a lot of research that I did for Tangaluma. But a part of me also, uh, it's, it's kind of weird to say, like I didn't want to spoil what I'd pictured in, in my head. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I know for, you know, for instance, in the book, for the sake of, for the sake of ease, I've sort of changed a little bit of the geography or the layout of how everything was placed on the island. Um, and that was simply so that the boy could could always have a vantage point over the um, the whaling station. And so I think if I went if I went this just sounds really weird to say, but if I went over there, I feel like I'd have like a fidelity to capture every single thing that was there in concrete. And I I, I like yeah. I like to let my imagination go a little bit with that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when did you decide that you wanted to write? Oh. Um, (laughs) geez, this is a big question. Uh, when I was in high school, I loved writing, but I actually had a teacher who, um, again, it's one of these things where I'm sure they didn't mean it the way it came across, but did not like what I was writing. It was, it was sort of very creative without any, what's the word I'm looking for? Any form or craft, I guess you could say. And instead of saying, there's a good heart in this. It was, mm. you haven't, you know, met X and Y with grammar and punctuation. And so I actually gave it up for a while and, um, got into music a fair bit and I joined a band and we did all that, uh, for a wow. few years in Victoria. Yeah. It was pretty fun touring and, um, doing a few things with my band was called sounds like chicken. We were mm-hmm. ska punk rock hardcore. It was weird, but <laughs> <laughs> we had we had a few niche fans um but when I moved to Queensland to be with my uh she was my girlfriend then but she's my wife now uh, Lena really encouraged me to go back to uni um or to sorry to go to uni in the first place and I chose to study music there and while I was there I was living by myself in the city and I just, I don't know what it was, but just one day I, I was reading something and I thought I could, maybe I could have a crack at this. And wow. I just started to write. It was the first thing I wrote was like a young adult, um, a young adult novel where dragons looked like gigantic bulldogs. And it was sort of, <laughs> it was just, it was all over the place. But I just, the feeling of creativity was something that I'd missed from um, being in a band you know what I mean? Like mm. I had, um, I had my friends around me to play music with, but up in Queensland, I hadn't made those friends yet. So, um, I was able to be put my creativity into something different. And, um, yeah, that was in, that was about 10 years ago now when I started to write. So when you started to write, so obviously you must, you enjoyed it at school, but unfortunately your teacher dampened yes. your enthusiasm on it, which is such a shame. Yes. But fortunately you, you, you regained it. Yes. And, and you, you, when you started writing again, then what did you think at the time? Did you think, I'm just going to do this for fun, you know, explore my creativity. Did you think, 
uh, this could be a vocation. What what it was the plan in your head at the time? Um, that's a really good question. Um, I sometimes I don't I don't know whether I plan things that far in advance. Sometimes I just go with what feels good, and it just felt good to to create this world and to create this thing. And I, I soon grew addicted to it. And um, it was one of the one of the first short stories I wrote was uh, like a little horror story and it was, yeah, it was, it was really, it was a fun little thing and it was the first submission I ever sent off. But I remember, you know, trolling through forums on the internet and trying like, what do I do? I had no idea. I don't, you know, didn't know anything about formatting or, um, mm-hmm. you know, even tense, like I'd been out of high school for that long, you know, I had to relearn everything. Um, wow. And I sent through this submission to um, Midnight Echo from the Australian Horror Writers Association, and it was picked up my first thing, and I thought this is easy. This <laughs> this was such an easy thing to do. I can do this all the time. I'll just write a few more, and then I'll write a novel, and it'll be all good. But uh, it did not turn out that way. All right. So now you currently teach, I understand, English and music at yes. Bribey Island State High School. Yes, I do. My friend lives on Bri- Bribey Island, ah. uh, and um, uh, although would not be at high school. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, now, so uh, presumably you fit your writing around your day job. Is that right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell us how you juggle that or when you make time to write. Do you have specific days that you decide that this is my writing time? you just fit it whenever how does that all work on a practical level yeah it's a, um well can i just say like this is one of my favorite things about this podcast is all like the nitty-gritty mm-hmm. writing craft stuff that you guys get into it's one of the things that i've because you hear so many authors and they all do things differently and I, mm. I find that really incredible that these different works can be produced using completely different methods um mm. for me I also have two young boys, as I mentioned earlier, and, you know, fitting in a full-time job and then everything like that. It's often, I don't know, about 8.30, 9 o'clock that I can switch off for the day um, mm. once you do marking and drafting and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, try to rest a little bit as well. <laughs> and so then I try to cram in, honestly, probably about 30 minutes worth of writing a day uh, mm-hmm. to an hour. Um, when I'm writing a first draft, I force myself to do a thousand words every day in 30 minutes or an hour. Yeah. Uh, wow. I know I just, it's, um, I'm quick. It doesn't come out that good. It comes out really rough, but mm-hmm. I like to write without looking back and I don't analyze whether or not the sentences are making sense or the plots progressing the way it needs to. I just try to write from like my heart or my guts or whatever emotional things happening in the story and just in a way try to step back and witness what's happening. And so I just, mm. I just have to get my fingers typing as quickly as I can. And, um, it's a slog some days, but, uh, you know, some days you get to that, that spot where you can watch a scene unfold like it's not from you. And that's, that's, mm. that's where I like to get to. I also do, I also write while I watch, um, TV sometimes with um with my wife Lena. So in the, in the ad breaks, I try to actually have conversations with my wife 
which is uh, important. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about multitasking. You're writing a novel, you're watching TV, and you're trying to have a conversation with your wife. That's astounding. I don't know whether I'm doing any of the three things that well, (laughs) but I'm trying to do everything, yeah. Oh, now I'm so intrigued by this um, getting out a thousand words in half an hour or an hour. Now, do you find that it generally does flow or and and do you already know, okay, I'm going to write this bit in the next, tonight? Yeah. Or, or like because you've already plotted it out? Yeah. yeah. How does that work? Well, I've got uh, – the way I work with, with outlining is I have a fairly – fairly solid idea of what needs to happen without getting into too many specifics. So I can still be creative within the moment, but obviously you need a a real thread through a novel to keep things progressing. So I do have sort of, I I know what I need, you know, I'll do this scene tonight, that sort of thing. Um, but then once I start, um, sometimes honestly, it's really hard. Um, I'm, you know, you're a writer, you know how it, you know, you get those nights where it's, um, it just flows out of you and everything's perfect and it's romantic and it's like you're dimly lit with an overhanging light and, you know, someone's <laughs> filming this beautiful, you know, writer at their task and some nights it's yeah. just like crawling through mud and difficult and you start and everything's terrible but because I'm doing the, I force myself to do it, I just write badly until it starts to come good and then, in the later stages of when I'm writing, I try to go back and edit those rough bits. And sometimes, sometimes I can't tell when I was, you know, in a creative flow or when I was struggling. It, they, it all seems to come out the same sometimes when I'm putting it back. <laughs> yes. So uh, to become a whale, did you, when you were writing that, had you already mapped out your plot points or did you kind of just start with the premise and let yourself go? Um, that one, uh, I've sort of refined my process since writing, um, to become a whale. Cause I think I wrote the mm. first draft of that in 2013, I think. Okay. So a little while ago. Um, but I had rough, I had a rough, uh, I just had like at the end, like I have, I write in, um, pages on my Mac and just mm-hmm. at the end of the document, I just had, you know, like a page worth of sentences. Um, so from my research things, scenes that I wanted to see, um, and sort of just a a really general outline. And I sort of go, okay, I'll write this one tonight. And I just wrote it from start to finish. So I sort of know where I'm going, but, um, Mm. I find it surprising sometimes what happens when I don't have too many restrictions on, um, You know, for instance, the, in the in To Become a Well, the the dog Albert is probably one of the most significant parts of that book, and mm. he was not in any outline that I wrote. I just was I just was writing, and I thought, oh, he needs a dog, and I <laughs> I wrote a scene where he found it. It's sort of I find it. I think um, uh, another uh, publisher once said to me, "You can either be I think you guys use the word too the the pantser or a plotter." Yes, I think I'm a. I think I'm a ten percent plotter, ninety percent pantser. Okay, mm. cool. <laughs> so the first one, the first thing you got published in the the horror 
story, your yes. short story. Yes. Is that some? Is that a genre that you actually um, like, or that you really resonate with? Yeah. It was. It was in the day. It was when I was. <laughs> when I, it was back then. I was loving um, Stephen King, especially was huge for me. Right. Um, and Chuck, um, whose last name I can never pronounce. Pali- yeah, me too. Palanuk, I think. I don't think you pronounce it. I know. Yeah, it's a tricky one. I, I never, I just go Chuck Buller and hope that people don't notice. <laughs> Chuck Buller. Um, yeah. He's, he had a book called Haunted, I think. And um, mm-hmm. so I used to, I love, I used to love that. And my first, the first novel I wrote was, was a horror, a sort of horror. Oh, man. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just. It was so messy back in the day. Um, I'd, re- I'd recently read, um, oh, what's that author called? The one where the the the, the old lady is dead and they go across the thing. Um, it's a very stream of con- Faulkner, William Faulkner, very stream of. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I'm glad I got there in the end. Um, yes. And so I'd recently read that, and it had all these chapters that stopped halfway through, and it was all messy, and I loved it, and I tried to write this horror. Thing about people on a plane going to hell and they didn't know they were going to hell and demons and, and stream of William Faulkner. <laughs> so yes. it was really bad. But um, yeah, yeah. I, used to, I used to like that stuff. I don't, I'm not into that stuff as much anymore. A bit more refined now. Well, okay. Having young children, I think, I don't know. I don't, I don't like that stuff in my head as much anymore. Yes. Yeah. I still like the occasional zombie book, but yeah. <laughs> Okay, so you started doing getting back into this ten years ago. You really liked it. You got the first horror story published. Yep. At what point did you think I'm going to make a real go of this? I'm going to get a novel published. Uh, from well, like I said, from that I thought this is easy. And so <laughs> then I wrote. Then I just wrote the first the first novel, and it was. I just wrote it. I don't. I didn't really aim. Was at- it this one? Was no, this the first no, 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 the, the no, plane load of people going to hell. And then I had a oh, right, historical yeah. – fi- I wrote so many bad novels that progressively, I hope, got better until to become a whale. But um, I think those were – What pro- do you think made them get better? Just sheer volume of writing or, I think, or what made you get better? I think, yeah, honestly, sheer volume of writing and just looking back over your own work. And if you can have a space of time between um, writing a thing – and you submit it and then, you know, six months later you get a, like a rejection slip and you go back over that short story and you're like, did I really write this? This is not very good. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yeah, just going back over my own stuff um, constantly and, you know, just if you write so many sentences, you're bound to come to a good one eventually. So, <laughs> yeah. Tell me about the journey to publication, like when you did write this and, and, and refine it, what were your next steps? How did you eventually get published? Uh, well, it's a pretty, yeah, it was a big process. Um, I originally sent off a copy to um, a man named David Jones who wrote um, the book um, The Whalers of Tangaluma. So he had a look mm. over it for historical authenticity and helped me with a few things. And then I went and saw Rowan Wilson. He's pretty much no, yeah. He's pretty much my favorite Australian author. He spoke at my book launch, which was humongous, like a massive honor for me. And um, mm. watching him speak made me 
changed the way I wrote completely. And I went back and wrote the whole book from the start fresh, just. Are you serious? Yeah. I had, I had one, one side, one half of my screen. I had, um, the old draft and on the other side I had my new draft and I would look at a sentence as the old draft and then I would try to capture it in a new way in the new draft. And I changed, I changed everything. What did he say? What did you take from that, from him speaking? And what was your approach then in your rewrite? Um, to be honest, it was that I had whittled down my voice to be vanilla and, and to be bland and safe, I guess. Um, I think, I think, you know, facing the pile of rejection slips, over a long time and trying to read a lot of short stories and, and modern literature, I think I was really trying hard to fit into what I thought people wanted. Right. And so when hearing him speak, I don't know whether you've read any of his books, but hearing him. Just the first one. Yeah, just, mm-hmm. yeah, just this, the, the boldness of his voice and just that's what I loved. And I realized I wasn't actually writing in the voice, my own voice. I was writing something that was – um, trying to please everybody. And instead of doing that, yeah. I went back to thinking I actually have to write something that I'm proud of. And so I just went, I just, yeah, I went for it. I went for my own voice. Um, and, and when you did that then and you rewrote the whole thing, mm-hmm. how did you know at the end that you had written the thing that you were proud of? How did you know that you had let your own voice come out? Uh, it was just on a purely sentence by sentence, um, sentence by sentence level. Just as I was writing it, I was just fighting for the new way of saying something and not trying to say it the way everybody else has said it and just trying to really paint pictures with words um, I'd sort of let that, yeah, I'd sort of let it become a bit mundane, I guess. And uh, I just sort of let a bit more blood get to it, I guess. And um, eh, reading it back, I was much prouder of it. And there were just so many moments where I was reading and I was like, this is actually something that I would m- enjoy myself yep. instead of, yeah, instead of being so unsure of myself. And um, then I, yeah, <laughs> I kept on, um, kept on editing for a little while after that. And then, and then what happened? What, so you rewrote it yeah. and then what happened? Um, I sent it off for the uh, Australian Vogel Literary Awards mm-hmm. and it, yeah, I had a lot. Um, yeah. when you, it's hard to talk about honestly because you have so many years where you don't have any feedback from people and you just get rejection after rejection and it just it builds on you and I'm not, you know, I think it's absolutely the way the industry has to be. It would be unreasonable to expect every single publisher to, you know, write back a little note or something to you because that would be ridiculous, their volume of work. So while you, while you understand, it's just that you're like, you question yourself, do I actually have anything good to offer? So when, mm-hmm. when, the, um, when the rejection came through for the Vogel, um, I actually kind of – gave up. It was kind of, wow. yeah, it was kind of the straw 
that broke the camel's back. And it was maybe not giving up, but I was like, I'm not doing this. I'm not going to do this anymore for a little while. I'm going to have a break because I just, it was, you know, I'd put everything into that and then to not, um, get anywhere with that. And it seems silly to be so hung up on one thing, but it was, um, Mm. it was just really devastating. And in the note, it had a little thing that said, um, and I still remember what it said exactly. It does not, it not quite reach the dramatic heights it was aiming for. And you can tell, you can tell the way my brain's wired because there was also some lovely stuff <laughs> that they were really positive things. But that last bit, um, so I added a few more things to heighten the drama and then it was sort of like the last gasp and I was done. And I just, I did that, you know, I sent it off to some agents, just a few query emails. Um, yeah. And that was it. I was done. So just, you know, wasn't expecting anything to come of it and I wasn't going to write. And, um, <laughs> just, you know, amazingly three months later, I got an email from, um, my agent, um, Gabby Nahir and she, um, she loved it. And it was so strange because, you know, for, for so long you've had, your, your writing hasn't been worth much to anybody else and then all of a sudden someone in within the industry is giving you that validation and saying this is worth something this is amazing um oh man i'd I'd been saving a bottle of wine for about three or four years to celebrate a writing (laughs) success and i busted out that night it was a big deal wow it was really cool and then uh, so when you (laughs) no go on yeah go on oh um gabby um Gabby did her thing and I'm so thankful for her because I would have no idea. But, um, yeah, eventually Alan and Unwin um, bought the book, bought the manuscript and, again, another bottle of wine to celebrate that one. Um, (laughs) And then I found out later that I was actually long-listed for the Vogel Award. And Uh I I had no idea. (laughs) I'd either not read the note properly or it hadn't been communicated to me well or maybe an email in a junk email. I'd actually, you know, achieved something, but I yes. I'd had no idea. They told me after they were like, Oh yeah, no, we remember you from the, you know, the award a year ago. I was like, what? Oh. I, yeah. I had no idea. I'm sure they, don't they publish that list? <laughs> I'm sure it's my fault. I'm sure it was my thing that I missed, but Hey, it's kind of good that I missed that because it just sort of, I don't know. I don't know. It just it worked out in the end, I guess, is what I'm saying. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So tell me about that moment when you read that email. Do you remember where you were or, 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 or what was happening at the time or is it a blur? From um, from Gabby. From Gabby. Yeah. Um, it was – I don't remember exactly. I remember the phone call because she, she wrote a quick email that just said, have you got representation? This is an amazing book. Can I call you tomorrow? And already I was – jumping out of my skin. And then I remember, wow. I remember pacing my backyard, talking to her on the phone, trying my best not to sound <laughs> stupid. <laughs> um, oh, trying gosh, to sound wow. down to earth and impressive, but with a strangely high vocabulary, um, probably coming <laughs> off very nervous, but, uh, she was very nice. And so then, um, she sent through the paperwork and I signed it. It was just, yeah, an amazing roller coaster. So tell me now, because uh, obviously you would have submitted this, because the book has just come out, and yeah. uh, but you would have submitted the manuscript, you know, like a year or whatever ago. Mm-hmm. Um, what have 
you been working on since? What's next for you? Um, I've got another book that I'm currently uh, – so I tried – what I did, um, there was a big space of time between um, Alan Unwin buying the book and then uh, getting to me with some story edits. There was about yeah. a five-month window there. And I thought, yeah. while I'm not doing anything, I might try to get a new draft done on a new book. And so I just quickly um, – I had an idea forming in my head for a few – years um for a new book and so I wrote that incredibly quickly trying to get it in under the wire before I had to start doing a few edits and stuff on um to become a whale and then uh mm. yeah still in the refining stages with that one at the moment but it's a completely different type of book it's much more mm. much more kind of a thriller kind of crime kind of kind of like um that TV show justified sort of warring families and things like that. So mm-hmm. yeah, um, I'm very proud of it, but it's still, it still needs a lot more refinement. It's still pretty, um, straight from the guts. I haven't refined it with craft yet properly. So what's your, um, finally, what's your advice to aspiring writers who were, who are currently where you were, Yeah. <laughs> you know, before all of this happened, Yeah. what's your advice to them? Who, who would love to be in a position like you in it one day? Um, I would say a couple of things. I think I, the first thing I'd say would be um, to just write a lot, um, mm. to write a lot of bad stuff. Don't put too much pressure on yourself to make it good straight away because it's not going to be – it's never going to be spectacular the first thing you write. Um, just let, let, let yourself off the hook and write for fun and write with your own voice um, just write a lot, write a lot of novels. Just when you finish one, write another one and, um, have a lot of fun while you do it. Um, yeah, I think that's what I would say. Absolutely. Well, congratulations on the book and thank you so much for talking to us today, Ben. Thank you, Valerie. It was an absolute pleasure. This is another, uh, peak achievement for me being on the, um, (laughs) so you want to be a writer podcast. Yay. It's huge. So thank you. (laughs) Glad to hear it. Thanks so much, Ben. Thank you very much. Okay, so Ben Hobson. That was fantastic. Now, Ben and I, um, you know, I say Ben and I like we're old mates, but in actual fact, we just we just speak to each other. We've never met, but we're on Twitter and Facebook together. So, right, we're, we're old mates, right? Yes. So, it's been so exciting watching, you know, watching the – the the launch of the book and how yes. well it's been received and I've got my copy which I haven't mm. read as yet but it's it's on my my teetering to be read pile mm. so it's quite exciting but I I think it's great you know that he, you know that he I found, probably found most interesting the fact that you know he he got all that feedback from the Vogel and mm. and didn't even take on board the good stuff which I yes. think is what often happens I think you like I remember like I get structural edits sometimes for my publisher. And, and she always starts out with, you know, I loved your brilliant manuscript and then then the notes. But I just yeah. – I never see that bit. All I see is the, you know, the then this is, you know, what about this and what about that and what about whatever. And then I freak out and then I walk the dog and come back and have another look at it and realise that it's actually only about sort of 10% of the book she's talking about. It's not the yeah. whole thing. And so you kind of – and then I then I calm down and become a grown-up. But the uh-huh. – Mm-hmm. The, your initial response is always just, oh, my God, they hate me. And I think yes. that's what's happened to him. 
Yeah, and the thing is that 10%, the feedback on the 10%, which is invariably constructive, is the feedback that makes a book or manuscript go from good to great. And, That's right. And That's exactly that, right. And they want that for you. Yeah. But you just need to, but you as the, because it's also personal, you know, and, but you as the author just see, oh my God, they don't, it, it, you know, it's like you put your child in front of them and they go, oh, it's great, great kid, but you know, he needs a haircut, but you don't hear that bit. <laughs> <laughs> you just hear they hate his hair. Do you know what I mean? That's all yes, you hear. So, yes. Yeah, it's interesting, interesting. But, yeah, great interview. It's really, really good. And um, I wish Ben all the best with his – Absolutely. With his, yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, check it out to Become a Whale, published by Alan and Unwin. All right, so this brings us almost to the end of this week's episode. Al, what are you doing in the coming week? Well, uh, what am I doing? This is an interesting. I mean, I find myself in a very interesting spot at the moment, as I so often do, Ooh, because okay. I, well, you know, this is the whole thing. Like, you, you, your stuff all happens, and 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 it looks like I don't know. It looks like I don't. It feels weird, but anyway. So I, I am promoting the Mapmaker Four. I am also working on the promotional stuff for the US for Mapmakers One to Three. Um, yes, I've been, yes. So I've got a whole range of stuff that is is playing out behind the scenes there. So I've got blog posts to write. I've got uh, podcast interviews to do, I, you know, just like a million and one different things that are, that are going to happen. Um, so, and so I'm going to stop you there. Take me, I, I, what I'd love to hear is just take me through when you th- knew your book was coming out in the US. Of, of course, you're excited and all those things. But from a promotional point of view, from a platform building point of view, how did you then go about thinking, oh, what strategy should I have to to for the for the US launch? Well, I just sort of looked at um, I, I looked at as I as as I invariably do. I looked at what can I do to to give my book the best possible chance there because obviously, you know, the publisher has got things going on as well. And obviously we've been touching base the whole time as to what those things are going to be. But it's like, what can I do? And fortunately through, you know, I have been blogging for such a long time now. And when I sort of first started out in the blogging space, the the bloggers that were doing anything were all parenting bloggers, you know. And so I've made a lot of parenting blogger friends, which, you know, now that I have my foray into children's fiction has proven Mm. to be, a really interesting strategy that I didn't know I was having back in the day. Um, So yeah, it's been great. So I, so I kind of reached out to several uh, of my parenting blogger friends and said to them, you know, this book's coming out and, um, you know, do you know of any other bloggers that I could possibly do some guest posts for, or are you guys interested in doing a review, blah, blah, blah. And of course they all were, they're really like the blogging community is a fantastically supportive place. So, Mm -hmm. so I've got a whole range of guest posts that I've got lined up to do on different, um, mostly parenting blogs, but I also have made sort of like connections with different book review blogs over the years, because we're, again, we're all in the same space. And I've written for a couple of the big US, uh, writing websites in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, so I got in touch with them and, 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 you know, I have got some guest posts planned for the big, uh, for some of the bigger writing, uh, uh, spaces as well, because I guess my my main aim here is just to put 
my name and my book cover in front of as many different eyes as possible. And of course, you know, I guess I do a lot of different things too. Like the podcast is a great, um, is a great, I mean, we obviously, we have a a good sized US audience with that. Um, So I'm actually, a couple of the posts that I'm going to be doing are around pop podcasting you know podcasting for authors and which then brings attention to the to our to our podcast as well and obviously gives me an opportunity to talk to more people down the track and um so it's it's not so much I mean it is kind of strategic in a way but it's also organic because a lot of these are just connections that I've made over the years by being in touch with people I'm interested in what they're writing they're interested in what I'm writing um I help to sort of like I, I I always um I'm I'm a very engaged member of my own community, if I guess is the best possible way to put it. So, um, you know, I I do my best to assist all of the people around me in much the same way as they do their best to assist me when, you know, when I have things that happen. So um, it's, it's, it's a genuine, you know, for, for people I've never met, it's a genuine friendship. And I think that that's, um, that's a really interesting well, it's not even interesting. It just is what it is. It's just the way that things have, have occurred. And it's what I always yeah. try to encourage with the with, with people who sort of come to me and say, oh, I don't know how to build my platform. How do I promote my book? It's like be an engaged member of your own community. Like this is yeah. this is what it's about. It's not it's not about like expecting yeah. the whole world to kind of like accept you. Like the number of requests I get from people that I have never met to, you know, promote their book for them, to do, yes. you know, posts on my own blog about, you know, if, 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 we, if I know you, then there's no way that I'm not going to go out of my way to assist you when your book comes yep. out. You know, yep. if, if we've made genuine connections, if you talk to me, like, yep. okay, but if you just come out of left field at me and say, you know, I think you should promote my book, yeah, no, nah, yep. sorry, but no. So mm. I think um, it's really important that people understand the, the, the two-way street that the so that social networking is. Yeah, absolutely. Don't forget the social. It's really important. Yeah, 100%. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. So it, what would your advice be, Al, to somebody who, um, as you say, you, uh, when you started blogging, the, the, the bloggers out there were a lot of parenting bloggers, yep. um, which has been certainly um, fortuitous that when you started writing children's books. But... Um, what would you say to people who um, they've released their book or about to release their book and it's potentially about to release in the US, but they have no connections there. They think they look at what they can do or what they've got and they're not really sure they've got anything. Where would you say they start? Well, I think you have to start like, like again, and this this comes down to like, let let me just point out that all of this stuff that I started putting in place, I started putting in place last June, so yeah. we are a year into this. The so the book has just come out now, and a lot of the stuff that you'll be seeing um, that I that I'm going to be doing won't be you won't even see it for the next couple of months. So this is a long term. This is not something that you do in five minutes, and this is what I keep trying to say to people. You, you can't you can't make connections meaningful it's that it, if I had started now it would be me contacting people out of left field saying can I be on your blog much the same as people do to me and mm. it's it's sort of like I I just find it um if and people that have never never commented on a blog post have never like they don't even follow me on Instagram or Twitter like it's like well yeah. I, 
I don't know you. And and unfortunately, I mean, my blog is a very personal space for me still. And it's it's not somewhere that I that I just sort of like like let out to the nearest person. So I think it's yeah. really important to realize that a blogger's website is a personal investment for them. And yeah. so for them to want to feature you, there's got to be a reason for that. So if yeah. you don't know them yet, start to get to know them now. Like have a look at the kind of bloggers that are going to be um, – that might might be interested in what you're doing, but also that you're interested in what they're doing. It has to be a meaningful thing. You can't just like yeah. throw yourself into people's space for no reason. Yeah. Um, so I would start doing that. But also look at the kind of sites that where you can where you can do that, where you can simply pitch stories too. Um, so a couple of those big writing blog sites like Write to Done, The Right Practice. Um, I know Anne R. Allen, who is a yeah. is a very big promoter of other people's work. She accepts guest posts. I'm doing a post for her in a couple of months about about podcasting. Yeah. Um, so have a look at the uh, at the ones where a writer unboxed accepts uh, guest posts. So, and I know people say, oh, but then you're just talking to writers because you know readers don't read. That. And I'm and I'm like, don't let's not be short sighted about this because a lot of writers are also readers. Yeah. A lot of book bloggers still read those blogs. Um, yes. You know, book reviewers still read those blogs. Now, if your book's coming out in the US, obviously you're going to want to talk to your publisher about getting making sure that you get your um, get your book into the hands of book reviewers. So this is where you need to start really investigating book bloggers and have a look at the kinds of book bloggers. And this is really important. Look at book bloggers who review the kinds of things that you do, because there's no point, um, you know, and, and I know book bloggers write about this stuff incessantly. Don't send them stuff they're not interested in. Like if they mm. if they review crime fiction, don't send them fantasy, you know, mm. or children's fiction or something else. So this requires research on research. your part. It requires you to do the work. And I think that um, I think that that's probably my best piece of advice is do the work, but have a look, I, do the research. I'm also interested to know because you've said a couple of times now that you have to, and I, I agree with you 100%, uh, you have to develop real relationships. You may not ever meet them, but real online relationships with these people either on social media or through blogs or whatever. On a practical level... Um, what does that look like? You know, do you set aside 15 minutes every day to comment on various people's blogs and yes. respond to them on Instagram? Yes. Stuff? Is that what you mean? Yes. Yes. Right. You set aside the time and you do it every single day. And if it's someone that you're particularly interested in sort of getting on the radar of, you, you put, you, you do that. You make those conversations, you have the conversations. If they put something out there about, you know, like they back their car into their friend's car that morning, for instance, <laughs> you might want to come back at them with a with a conversation about that. Like it's 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 like anything. Like people are just looking for for affirmation that they're not silly. Like some Watch of us. Alison's next social media post is going to be about how she back Alice, into her friend's car. Alison's next. Oh, I might have to keep that a secret. Right. Um, but yeah, so like just look at look at ways look at opportunities to actually like respond to people. Um, like it yeah. doesn't actually, like I have to say, it actually doesn't take that much for me to notice that you're there. Like it, mm. I'm only talking about myself personally. I don't have 50 million, um, you know, like Chuck Wendig, for example, the US blogger, it might take a little bit longer for him to notice that you're part of his community because his community is 500,000 people strong. But, you know, like for someone smaller, like it, it doesn't take that much for me to notice that you're there, that you're talking to me, that, you know, I'm talking to you. Oh, there, like it's a little bit like Ben Hobson we were talking about 
earlier, you know, I've been following his journey because he's been making me part of it by by drawing me into it and by talking to me about things and and you know it's it doesn't take much it's just like it's like anything you know you go to a party have a conversation with people don't just sort of like i don't know bang them over the head with stuff and and also and also connect with them you know i was um you know Jodie Picot she who has sold one gazillion trillion billion books billion uh, books she <laughs> responds to Every single email she receives, every single yeah. one, yeah. and that's as do I. And that's around two hundred a day at least. Oh yeah, okay, I'm not up to that. <laughs> <laughs> when I get to my billion book phase, I'll still be responding. I promise. And she says it's because it's good manners. <laughs> exactly. And it is. Anyway, and I think it's about that. It's about having the manners, and it's about if you yes. really, if you're wanting to. Um, if you want someone's help, you, you need to, you know, you, you can't, you can't just bowl up and say, I demand that you do this. It's, yes. that's not going to work for you. So think about what is going to work for you and probably manners are a really good place to start. <laughs> All right. So if you are in the US, make sure you check out Alison's book. It's the map, it, well, series of books. It's the Mapmaker Chronicles and we will put the link in the show notes so you can go directly to where you can buy them and the show notes can be found at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Where do we find you online, Al? Uh, you'll find me on Twitter talking about the fact that I backed my car into my friend's car um, at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And the, obviously you will find me at my home on the internet at alisontate.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. And you, Val? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. And, of course, feel free to connect with me on Facebook. I'm the Valerie Koo that lives in Sydney. Uh, and you'll find, of course, all the show notes at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au. Thanks so much for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.